0: Welcome back, true crime fans! It's TJ, the weirdo with a beardo, back with another episode of True Crime Tuesday. This week, we dig into the controversial mercy killings at the hand of Dr. Jack Kevorkian, or as some have called him, Doctor Death, in True Crime Tuesday episode number eighty-four. Marad Jacob Kevorkian was born in Pontiac, Michigan, May twenty-sixth, nineteen twenty-eight the middle of three children, to hard-working Armenian immigrants. Kavorkian himself became a child prodigy, incredibly smart, teaching himself multiple languages, including Russian, German, Greek, and Japanese. He would eventually graduate high school early at the age of 17, before going off to college and graduating from the University of Michigan Medical School in 1952. By 1959, Kavorkian had received his doctorate and had begun working as a research professor at the University of Michigan, And by the late 1950s, Kevorkian began to develop several controversial theories on death. One included inmates who were sentenced to death being able to volunteer their bodies for medical experiments, as opposed to the other methods of death allowed by law. Another theory involved harvesting the organs of these death row inmates after their sentence had been carried out, so their organs could be transplanted into sick patients who desperately needed them. But the prison system and the medical community never got behind the idea. Kevorkian also experimented with blood transfusions from recently deceased patients into living recipients. While working at the Pontiac General Hospital, he withdrew blood from patients who had recently died and successfully transferred it into living staff members. Kevorkian thought this process would be especially helpful for the U.S. military, but the Pentagon shut it down. Over the next several decades, Dr. Jack Kevorkian continued to develop his theories on death including the humane yet ethically questionable euthanasia in humans, which is, of course, the intentional ending of life to eliminate pain and suffering. By 1987, Kevorkian had began advertising himself as a physician consultant for death counseling in Detroit newspapers, aimed at helping terminally ill patients by assisting them with suicide in an effort to end their pain and suffering. By 1990, Dr. Kevorkian had his first patient, a 54-year-old woman named Janet Atkins, who was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease in 1989. Kevorkian helped Janet end her own life in the year 1990, and he was soon charged with Janet's murder. But the charges never stuck, because at the time there were no laws in Michigan that prevented assisted suicide. So on December 13, 1990, all the charges were dropped. Subsequently, the state of Michigan revoked Kevorkian's medical license in 1991 and gave clear instructions that Kevorkian was no longer allowed to practice medicine or work with patients, and doing so would be a punishable offense. Over the next seven years, Dr. Jack Kevorkian helped nearly 130 terminally ill patients end their own lives. That's according to his attorney, Jeffrey Feiger. According to reports, Kevorkian had created his own series of euthanasia devices. One was called the thanatron, or death machine, which he would attach to the patient and let them make the final decision by pushing a button that released drugs or chemicals into their body that would soon kill them. Another was called the mercitron, or mercy machine, a gas mask-like device that allowed the patient to inhale carbon monoxide, causing them to drift off to sleep and never to wake again. Kevorkian claimed that his aim in helping the patient was not to cause death but rather to end suffering, and urge that assisted suicide ought to be decriminalized. Not surprisingly, not everyone thinks that way, and there were mixed emotions from the medical community and other critics. The Detroit Free Press claimed over half of Dr. Kevorkian's patients were not terminally ill, and that at least 13 of them had never complained of any pain. Another report claimed that 19 of Kevorkian's patients had never received a psychiatric evaluation prior to their death and five of those people had a history of depression. But Kevorkian refuted the claims, saying that it's always necessary to consult a psychiatrist before choosing to end one's life, because, as he said, quote, a person's mental state is of paramount importance. But critics cited other examples, like Rebecca Badger, a troubled drug addict who suffered from mental illness, who had also been mistakenly diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, and eventually became one of Dr. Kevorkian's patients. A British newspaper called The Economist even published an article that said studies of those who sought out Dr. Kevorkian suggest that many of them had worsening illnesses but was not usually terminal. Autopsies showed that five people had no diseases at all. Little over a third were in pain, and some presumably suffered from no more than hypochondria or depression. But Kevorkian's attorney fired back, saying, "...I have never met any doctor who lived by such exacting guidelines as Kevorkian." He published them in an article for the American Journal of Forensic Psychiatry in 1992, and later that year, he got a committee of doctors, the Physicians of Mercy, to lay down new guidelines, which he scrupulously followed, meaning that even though many didn't believe in the doctor's activities, he still maintained a strict code of ethical conduct, even though, at the time, Kavorkian himself found it difficult to even follow his own rules because of the, quote, persecution and prosecution he'd already faced. You see, between May of 1994 and June 1997, Dr. Jack Kevorkian was tried four times for helping his patients commit suicide, was acquitted three of the times, and the fourth ended in a mistrial. The trial served as a launchpad for supporters of Kevorkian's efforts to ease his client's pain. Now, up until 1998, Kevorkian had simply given his patients the means to end their own life. But it was up to the patient to make their own decision to carry out the final step of the journey. That was until November 22, 1998, when on an episode of CBS's 60 Minutes, a clip of Jack Kevorkian administering a lethal injection to one of his patients, 52-year-old Thomas Yauk, who'd been suffering from Lou Gehrig's disease. Now, this was a major turning point because since all of Kevorkian's previous patients had carried out the final step on their own, however this time, it appeared that Dr. Jack Kevorkian had inadvertently murdered one of his patients by delivering the lethal dose himself even though Thomas Yauch's family called the injection humane and not murder. A media frenzy quickly followed, and with it came a criminal charge of first-degree murder on November 25, 1998. An additional charge of delivery of a controlled substance followed, since Kevorkian had lost his medical license eight years prior and was not legally allowed to possess controlled substances. Kevorkian's murder trial began March 26, 1999, when he fired his attorneys and made the decision to represent himself for the remainder of the trial, a decision I'm sure he would later regret. Dr. Gavorkian had a tough time presenting his evidence and defending his position. He wasn't able to call a single witness that the judge had deemed relevant. And after two days of trial, the jury found Dr. Jack Kevorkian guilty of second-degree murder and sentenced him to 10 to 25 years in prison. Kovorkin would only serve eight years of his sentence before being paroled on June 1, 2007, granted mainly because he was terminally ill with hepatitis C, which he supposedly caught while doing blood transfusion experiments in the 1960s. And as part of his parole, Kovorkin was forbidden to assist anyone else with suicide and was barred from sharing any of the details of his methods. Kovorkin went on to become a public speaker on the matter of healthcare reform. He also ran for Michigan State Congress in 2008 and came in third, However, three years later, on May 18, 2011, Jack Kevorkian was sent to the hospital and diagnosed with liver cancer, most likely a complication of hepatitis C. Less than a month later, Dr. Jack Kevorkian died from a blood clot on June 3, 2011, barely a week after his 83rd birthday. And much like the patients he had helped to end their suffering, Dr. Jack Kevorkian died without pain. And ever since his trial, there have been many mixed feelings about the lawfulness of assisted suicide. The presiding judge from Kavorkian's first murder trial in nineteen ninety-four, Judge Thomas Jackson, said he was sad to hear of Kavorkian's death, and that the case from ninety four was brought up under a quote, badly written law, and attempted to give Jack the best trial possible. Meanwhile, the medical director at St. John's Hospital, John Finn, claimed Dr. Kavorkian's methods were quote unorthodox and inappropriate, and that many of his patients were quote isolated. Lonely and potentially depressed, and therefore in no state to mindfully choose whether to live or die. Now, regardless of your personal thoughts for or against Dr. Kevorkian's actions, his impact on the medical community and his advocacy for patients' ability to choose their own destiny is indisputable. The founder and director of Right to Die Organization Exit International, Philip Nitschke, is quoted as saying Dr. Jack Kevorkian, quote, moved the debate forward in ways the rest of us can only imagine. He started at a time when it was hardly talked about and got people thinking about the issue. He paid one hell of a price, and that is one of the hallmarks of true heroism. And that is this week's True Crime Tuesday story, episode number 83, the story of Jack Kevorkian, Dr. Death. Join me next week for more stories of true crimes and unsolved mysteries. We'll see you next time.